Welcome to Imagine Radio, featuring insights and opinions from thought leaders and subject matter experts in the HIM and healthcare industry to help you stay educated and informed. This is Imagine Radio. I'm your host, Todd Youngblood. And our second guest of the day, a gentleman who we share a hometown, at least for for some years we did, as you were in Congress and Speaker of the House. So it's nice to see you face-to-face again, even though we are a bit of a ways from Atlanta and Georgia and and Cobb County. Congressman and former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. It's a real honor. Just to get us kicked off, Congressman, you talked about in your opening remarks just a few minutes ago about the complexity of the healthcare system. And from where I sit, it certainly is incredibly complex. Can you talk about the process? What can we do? What can be done about the process of addressing this very complex Well, look, I, I think that the system requires very large principles, but very small steps. And I think you have to recognize that nobody's smart enough to understand the entire system. And when you try to change the entire system at one time, you're inviting defeat and you're inviting failure. On the other hand, you you have to decide, do you want to move towards more of a patient-centered system where patients have information and responsibility, or do you want to move more towards an expert bureaucratic control system where the bureaucracy and the experts have more power? That's a very basic, very fundamental question of direction. But then the steps you ought to take in phase one are really sort of baby steps. I mean, this idea that you're going to wave a magic wand and change 18% of the economy every fifth dollar is impossible because there are too many tremendously smart people. It's, it's not like health. I mean, healthcare is actually, in pure IQ terms, maybe the smartest single component of the American economy. And so you've got medical doctors, hospital administrators, pharmacists, research scientists, uh, malpractice lawyers, etc. I mean, this huge, dense collection of pretty smart, pretty well-educated people all of whom have a vested interest in their particular tiny piece of the larger system. Senator Boxer asked me to repeat one of the questions I posed to her a few minutes ago, and it's a, it's a personal story. I've been on a prescription for five years, not a serious condition at all, so it's not a big deal medically. For the first four years, I paid $70 for a 90-day supply of that particular medication. 2017, price went up a little over 8000 percent to 5700 bucks, And my insurance company said I was lucky since they were covering 97% of it, right. which puts that prescription at $185,000 or $6,000. How can this be? Well, I think there are people who are price gougers and there's no excuse for it. And I think, we ought to, I think we ought to have hearings. We ought to have some sense of if you're going to raise prices, particularly for something already on patent, already basically out in the market, if you're going to have absurd price increases, they ought to be brought in front of the Congress and, they ought to, and their records ought to be exposed. And people ought to understand, in some of these cases, frankly, they're just scoundrels. You know, there's the one case of the guy who was a, purely an entrepreneur, had no medical background, bought a company, promptly, you know, radically increased the price of a drug which had been on market for 30 years. Well, that's an absurdity. And there ought to be steps we can take to punish people who are engaged in that kind of, I think, exploitation of those who need health care. Senator Boxer also talked about Medicare negotiating with pharmaceutical companies. What do you think of that notion? Well, I think it's fascinating that the liberals love that concept. The fact is Part D involves competition, has consistently come in under budget, is is dramatically less expensive, not because the government has negotiated with pharmaceutical companies, 
but because by setting up a series of competitive options, the competitive options have negotiated. And the result is people have more choices, lower costs, and they have a much better formulary than the Veterans Administration, which does negotiate. So I think you've got to be very careful about this. What you don't want to do, I mean, I'm for transparency of cost. You ought to know what it costs you. I am for competition. I am perfectly happy to have multiple companies negotiating with the drug companies, but I'd be very cautious about centralizing it into the government as a monopoly purchaser because I think it would, in fact, probably destroy innovation uh, for the next generation. And we are right on the edge of breakthroughs that are going to be unbelievable, that are going to extend life, extend health, allow people to live beyond 100 and have essentially the health of a person who's 60. Congressman, 30 years ago, anybody that worked for any kind of a large corporation, even a mid-sized corporation, had two things in common. They had a defined benefit pension plan and they had health insurance. In the span of my business career, the defined benefit pension is gone, replaced by a 401k. Is there something similar that, that can be done in the healthcare industry? And does it make sense to even try to do that? Well, I mean, if you go back and think about it, the, the, the modern post-World War II model was adopted for very large corporations who were very successful at the peak of American relative power after having won World War II. People tend to forget, you know, Germany had been bombed, France had been bombed, Britain had been bombed, Japan had been bombed. So we had this very brief moment when we were so wealthy compared to anybody else and so big compared to anybody else that it gave us an artificial sense of what was possible. And you find, by the way, not just with big corporations, but if you look at our city and state governments, the degree to which politicians have had total irresponsibility in the pension programs is going to be a horrendous problem over the next 20 or 30 years as we inevitably have to change the system to something which is sustainable. If you look at the student loan program, it's the same problem. Uh, it's, it's, it's insanity to loan students as much money as they can borrow to allow the universities to raise the price as much as they can get away with, to have students then take five years instead of four, and then to discover, gosh, if you borrow money for five straight years, you, you, owe, you owe money. I mean, what did they think was going to happen? I, <laughs> I, I don't have a response to that question. I want to get back to something you mentioned, this triangular setup of healthcare in the U.S. You have the patient. You have the payer and you have the provider. Talk a little bit more about that system, how it can be changed, and, and throw in the reinsurance concept. Well, there, there, there are two or three parts to this. Okay, first of all, the great lesson of the Austrian School of Economics occurred when a professor of economics in Vienna went down to the fish market. This is before refrigeration. And he realized that if you were going to have a big fancy dinner that night, you wanted to go to the market early, and you wanted to buy the freshest possible fish. But if it was towards the end of the month, you're on a limited budget, you might want to go to the market much later, buy a much cheaper fish, and make a fish stew. And that the same person on different days for different reasons wanted to pay a different amount for a different quality. And the conclusion he reached was that you could never invent a bureaucracy which had enough accurate information to tell you what you wanted to pay for what you were going to get on that particular day. And so that's why the whole base of the Austrian School of Economics was not having a market for the purpose of capitalists, but having the market for the purpose of customers. That it's the customer who is better served in a market because they get the power to choose. Third-party triangles basically say the following. I'm going to get something which I'm not paying for. 
you're going to give me something you know I'm not paying for. The third person, she's going to actually pay you for taking care of me. Now, she's not getting any. This is all a sunk cost to her. And she's thinking, I don't, I'm not happy with the doctor. And I'm not happy with the patient because I'm just spending money and I'm not getting anything for it. The patient's going, this is great. The doctor owes me everything because none of it costs me anything. I mean, if you did this with automobiles, every American would believe that at a minimum, a Ferrari or a Bentley or a Rolls was their minimum condition because it'll be free. Right. Okay. And so what then happens is the person paying starts building more and more rules to control the person who's delivering so that the person who's getting it suddenly finds they have fewer and fewer choices, more and more paperwork. And so in the long run, triangular systems are in, inevitably have a downward spiral. In a binary system, McDonald's is a classic example, you walk in and you pick what you want to eat today for lunch. Or my favorite because I'm in California, in an outburger. Okay? There you go. There's one right at the edge of they the... They are. Uh, they are right, good. <laughs> yeah, right at the end of the Los Angeles airport, there's an In-N-Out burger. I walk in. I want to get an In-N-Out burger. Maybe I'll go crazy today and get animal fries, but not tell my wife. <laughs> Be right. our little secret. That's right. <laughs> uh, or I can get a protein burger, which is the lettuce wrap without the bread. Now, I'm making a decision. The In-N-Out burger people are giving me the product I've ordered. I'm giving them the money they said they would charge. I know at that very moment whether or not they're giving me what I ordered. It's Austrian economics They know again. at that very moment that they're getting the cash they demand. You don't need a bureaucrat. You don't need a third-party payer. You don't need lots of red tape. And what you want to think about is how can we migrate health back to a system? And part of that may mean that we start emphasizing health care, not health insurance. So what I want to know is can I, can I take every person in my community and have access to health care? Some of them may not be insured, but frankly, at 22, you can make a pretty rational argument. It's not an unreasonable risk. As long as we then ensure that you get care when you need it and you pay for the care you need. Congressman, I heard you give a speech once saying that you were an advocate of a 300 million payer system. And Senator Sanders now is, is a little bit a little bit different from that, advocating a single payer system. Where do you see that debate and that, and well, that I, issue I, unfolding? I, I, I think Bernie's years? doing us all a great favor because he's, he's, he's putting on the table where the left is migrating to. And he's saying, look, I want everybody to have the same system. It'll all be run by the federal government. And by the way, it won't cost anything. Well, luckily, that is so absurd that the average American has to go, okay, so who's paying? And it turns out that you're not going to pay because Bernie wants your vote. So who's going to pay? Well, the very rich are going to pay. Well, how much could you get out of the very rich? Oh, if you, if you confiscated all of their income, you would take care of about two months. And that's it for the rest of their lifetime. That's it. And that assumes whether they're not smart enough to move to New Zealand before you get the money. So you're very consistent with your 300 million payer, right? Oh, well, now it'd be 324 <laughs> 324, million. right. <laughs> yeah, because I think a 324 million payer system, which is what we have for McDonald's or Walmart or Amazon. You know, I mean, you get online and you buy what you want and you pay what they ask you for. If you don't want to buy it that badly, you don't pay for it. It's That part really is not that complicated. No, it's a, it's a very <laughs> basic question of what kind of future do you want. Congressman, I wish we had more time, but we just don't. I know you've got, a, you've got a busy schedule here. This is here, a great conference, and thank Newt, you. Newt Gingrich, 20-year congressman, former Speaker of the House from Georgia's 6th District. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. I appreciate it. Thanks. Imagine Radio. 